Why don't we stand and read verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be their husbands, subject to ever, in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or no wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So as husbands, also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to have his own Love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Please be seated. Well, welcome back to part two, what was actually going to be part two of a part two series of marriage. But typical in Genesis house fashion, what started out as two parts has now become three. <laughs> so before we jump in though, let me uh, remind you of the main points we covered uh, last time to help us in the flow of this passage here. But last week we looked at God's design and uh, purpose for marriage, as, how, as well as how sin entered into that perfect union, leaving us with the resulting consequences we all have to work through. And so, we looked at Genesis 3.16 as the, as the main text. And in Genesis 3.16, it uh, said that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And we spoke about the word desire. It was the same word used with uh, Cain and Abel when, he wanted to, when Cain wanted to go after Abel. And the Lord warned him and said, there's a desire in you to go after and kill your brother, but you need to like, basically watch out for that. So there's this kind of negative connotation to this strong urge to do something. But then he talked about, but your husband will rule over you. And that rule is this, the word having dominion or government over. Same as Joseph ruling the land of Egypt and whatnot. So there's a sort of power struggle that can potentially exist. And there's a temptation to exist in marriage. And this, the struggle was really this. And it was from uh, William Taylor from Britain that he gave me these quotes. He said, The wife will find herself wanting to resist her husband's leadership, to strike out on her own, develop her own independent agenda, and subtly manipulate her husband's rule. That's the, the fight in a woman. The man's fight and struggle is that he will find himself unreasonable, he'll be self-serving, and will treat his wife as little more than a useful accessory to make his own life easier. And so this is the pull that we often have in marriage. David Jackman said this one time, it was awesome. He says, if love is blind, then marriage is a great eye-opener. <laughs> and so here we go. But the reality then, if we, if we think in these terms, it's like bleak outlook, isn't it? I mean, who wants to get married? 
if this is the reality that we have to face. I mean, that's not much of an exciting thing to look forward to. And it reminds me of Jesus' or the disciples' words with Jesus when he talked on the permanence of marriage and what they said. After Jesus sort of laid it down as of what a marriage was, they said, well, if the relationship between a man and his wife is like this, then it's better for us not to get married. Right? And that's, that was the disciples' attitude. And so we might think, well, that should be ours too in certain situations. Well, again, the cool thing about God is even though He was just in bringing the consequences, in Ephesians, He provides a mercy. He provides a cure. He provides a way of life that we can live to work through this temptation of the consequence of the fall. And so Paul tells us what the solution is. And it's really cool. He actually says that the solution is rooted in looking at Jesus' relationship to the church. It's rooted in looking to Christ and His relationship with the church. Look at verse 24 in terms of the instruction to the woman. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives be subject to their husbands and everything. So what is the wife to do first? She's to look at how the church functions in relation to Christ and imitate the church and how she relates to her husband. How about, verse, how about the husbands in verse 25? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So he's to do something else in relation to Jesus. He's to look at Christ's love for us and imitate Jesus. So the wife's to imitate the church and the man's to imitate Christ in how they relate with one another. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So wives are mentioned first in verse 22. But we're not going to talk to them today. My intention was to do the whole verse, but I ran, just, there's too much to say to the husbands. <laughs> and so we're going to spend our entire time talking to the men, and we'll deal with the ladies after Easter. So verse 25. Well, actually, let me, let me say this first. In the opening verses of verses 22 through 25, Paul makes three things very clear. First of all, he says in verse 23, the husband's the head of the wife, which means he's given the privilege and responsibility in being placed in the position of authority within the family unit. Second though, he says, although the husband is the head of the wife, he has someone who's a head over him. And that's Jesus Christ. That's also in verse 23. Thirdly then, the husband therefore, as having Christ as his head, is to imitate Christ. Imitate him in the way he operates as head. So the husband's not free and clear to operate in the family however he wishes. Just because he's been given that authority by God. He is to come underneath Christ and imitate the way he leads us as men. That's very powerful to think about. So we're not free and clear to dictate how we think things should function. We've been given a divine blueprint. A divine blueprint in how this is to operate. So what does this blueprint look like? How are to imitate Christ? Well, we pick it up in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul's answer? Paul's answer? Love. You want to be the head of your home? You want to share in that, you want to have that authority? You love. He makes this clear in verse 28 as well. Husbands ought to love their wives. And in verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you, speaking to the men, is to love his own wife. Love 
is the essence of headship. But it's love of a particular kind. It's not love of the world. You know, I love you because of the way you make me feel. I love you because you look a particular way. So when those things stop, I don't love you anymore. It's not that kind. It's love that comes with a tremendous sacrifice. A tremendous sacrifice. You see, when he talks about giving himself up for her, he's pointing to the cross. When Jesus gave himself up for us, he's pointing to the cross. So what's the essence of his love then? Self-sacrifice. His essence is self-sacrifice. Jesus' death was the most selfless act ever done in history. He did nothing to deserve death, and yet he died. He selfishly, or selflessly, I should say, laid aside his own agenda. His rights didn't matter. His status didn't matter. His personal desires, his feelings didn't matter. What mattered was the well-being of humanity, of you and me. Our well-being took priority over his well-being to the point that he would die for us. He gave everything so that we would thrive and that we would benefit. As imitators of Christ then, as a husband, that's what we're being called to. You know, when I go back to this, this PowerPoint here, notice it says the husband will find himself unreasonable, self-serving. Self-serving. That's what the husband's bent can be if he's not thinking about the way the Lord wants him to lead and have it had lead his home. But the reality is, is that we're not to be self-serving, but selfless. Selfless. A husband is to put all of his self-interest aside in order to see his wife thrive and to benefit for her well-being. So it's a kind of love that never asks the question, what's in it for me, but what's in it for her? And I listened to Charles Price uh, a few years ago speak on this. He had a really good one-liner that I'll never forget. He said, the thing about giving yourself up, he said, husbands prefer that they, they should not give themselves up for their wives, but the wives should give themselves up for their husbands. <laughs> husband's preference, she gives up her life for me. That's the husband's preference. But Christ's preference for you is that you give it up for her. Jesus takes this mentality and flips it on its head. Now, when I was thinking about self-sacrificial love, I saw three hidden gems in here. As I thought about the cross and what Jesus actually did, there were three gems that I found can expand on what self-sacrificial love looks like. And the first one, which really ties into to what we just spoke about, so it's, it's very similar, but it's worth mentioning, is that his love was tangible. His love was tangible. In other words, like Christ did something. He did something. He didn't put his feet up on the couch and go, Oh, you know, church, I love you. You know, church, I'm thinking about how much I love you. He did something. He did something. He got to the point that he took his own life for the sake of us. His action was tangible. It came at a huge personal cost. Huge personal cost, both physically and emotionally. 
you know, the physical pain we always think about, like the flogging and the crucifixion, and we can't imagine what that would have been like. But we forget the emotional things that he went through as well. The tangibility of the emotions he experienced. Do you know, remember what Jesus experienced? He was rejected. Not just by the crowds, by his closest friends, the disciples. He was betrayed by them. He was, they ran away from him. They even denied him. And we know Jesus had a hard time with this. In John 12, 27, he said to the Father, My soul has become troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That word troubled is used to describe the disciples' fear when they experienced Jesus calm the storm in the Sea of Galilee. You understand the kind of emotions that's involved here? How about in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22? In verse 42, he, he cries out to the Father, if, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He says, my spirit's willing, but my flesh is so weak. He's sweating drops of blood in emotional anguish. Listen, his, his love was tangible, not just in the physicality of the thing, but in the emotions of the commitment to his bride, which is you and me. And yet he made the self-sacrifice despite the pull to neither emotionally or physically commit. To imitate Christ's husbands is to love your wives in a way that will take an emotional hit and a physical hit on you potentially. Again, I'm not saying it's a bleak outlook of marriage. I mean, there's some tremendous physical and emotional benefits to being married. But what I'm saying is that we're going to give ourselves up for her. You need to understand this. It might take an emotional hit on your preferences or on your likes to fulfill her needs. It might take a physical hit on your part. And see, I'm not talking about just death. You know, I've never listened, I've never asked or heard a man say this, would you, ne would you not take a bullet for your wife? I've never heard him say, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> if, even in the secular world, if he said that, you'd be lynched. We all want to be the hero, the gladiator, the Russell Crowe when it comes to dying for the wife in a noble cause. But here's my question to all the men, including myself. In terms of the physical hit and the emotional hit, are you willing to give up all your selfish ambition in order to take this on to meet your wife's needs and alleviate any party coming to her? Will you put aside those things? This is what it is to give yourself up. Christ's love was tangible. He did something and it cost him. Another aspect of his love was that it was initiatory. Initiatory. Who was the first to act in reconciling this? Was there Jesus? Christ. Christ went to the cross. First, apart from our love for him. 1 John 4.19 we love because He first loved us. He first loved, therefore we love. Not the other way around. Romans 5, 6, and 11. You see, at the right time, when we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been now justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? 
Christ's love was initiatory. Listen to the description of us. We're helpless. We're ungodly. We're sinners. We're enemies. And yet He loved us first. You understand the self-giving love a husband's been called to? <laughs> the hardest part of marriage for me. And Denise can attest to this. If she, if she was to say, where's the struggle in our marriage? In 13 years of marriage, the hardest part of me is to love my wife when I don't think she's lovable. When she was helpless, when she was a sinner, when she was ungodly, when she was an enemy in my eyes. And I won't reconcile or I won't initiate to seek peace because my, I'm too hurt or whatever the reason. Jesus loves you and me in spite of our flaws. As I look to him and I think of his nail-scarred hands and his feet, and his body that was unrecognizable, and think of the example given to me. I can't love my wife enough. You can't love her enough, despite the flaws. I must look vertically if I'm going to live out this love horizontally. The third aspect in this hidden gem of love is that it was without expectation. When Jesus died, he knew he would be rejected by the majority of the world. 1 John 1, 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to the, everyone, was coming into the world. He came to the world. He created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, the Jews, and they rejected him. Think of it, church, in Okotoks, how many Christians you know, followers of Christ, compared to how many you don't know? It didn't stop him from going to the cross. His sacrifice was not dependent on whether he'd be loved back. For a husband to imitate the Lord in these ways is to do likewise. Again, this is super hard. It pulls up my heartstrings when I think of this type of love. But there's no room in God's kingdom for conditional love. There's no room in these ways. And I speak to myself when I speak this message. So how do we define headship? Putting all this together. What is headship? Headship is this, according to everything I've said from the scriptures. Jesus' headship involved a tangible act of selfless sacrifice of his whole self and costly service to the point of death with no expectation of return. Husband, you want to lead your, be the leader in your home? I, and you know, actually, let me say this. I should be careful. There's no such thing as a leader in Bible, like in, in, the, in the marriage. This whole thing about leadership, it doesn't exist. The Bible uses the word headship. Headship. You want to be the head of your home? You love in tangible ways, with acts of self, selfless sacrifice, with your whole self, and costly service to the point even of death for your wife, with no expectation of return. If you get return, great. But that is not the love we've been called to.
Christ's call to husbands to live in this way is the greatest challenge to selfishness you will ever experience in your life. Let me say that again. Christ's call is the greatest challenge to selflessness or selfishness, I should say, that you'll ever experience in your life. Nothing will tempt away oh, harder than this. It's an act of the will. It's an act of the will and as a love expression to Jesus Christ. You look to him as your model. So Paul, he's now established the essence of Christ's love for the church. It's self-sacrificial. He says, husbands, love your wives in the same way, self-sacrificially. Now Paul moves in describing the purpose and goal behind this love. What's the goal? The purpose. You pick it up in verse 26. Jesus gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Then he says, in the same way, in the same way, husbands now love your own wives as your own body. So Christ has, he's, this is his work over here is loving the body. Now husbands, you love your own body in this way. Um, you love your wife as your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So he's got a, com a comparison here. Jesus does this, husbands, you do this likewise. So what's the comparison? Well, in verse 26, the purpose of his love is to have a beautiful bride. A beautiful bride. But listen to how the beauty is described. He says that you sanctify her. That's maturity. Set apart for God's service to God. That she be um, presented with no spot or wrinkle. Obviously, um, this is in reference to moral issues because he says that she be holy and blameless. So Christ's goal for us as a church is this. We'd be a beautiful bride. His self-sacrificial love has a purpose behind it, that we would be morally pure, that, would be, that we wouldn't be the bride of Frankenstein, that we'd be the bride of Christ, right? So he's looking for character. He's looking for purity. He's looking for us being set apart for service to God. So this is how Jesus deals with the church. And then he says, in the same way, husbands, love your wives as your own body. So as Christ cares for his body in this way, we care for our wise body as well. And he actually says, if you don't do this, it's actually kind of a self-suicide. It's a self-suicide. He says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. So what if you don't love um, your wife like you love yourself? Well, you basically commit suicide. And we all know what that's like when we've neglected our role in the family with our wives, how it can be an unhappy home. And even though we're like, you know, independent of her, we're still feeling the effects in the home because we're one flesh. Now, He says that we're to do this by nourishing and cherishing her, just as Christ does the church. So what does it mean to nourish and cherish? Well, these words mean to feed and to care for. To feed and to care for. 
What does he mean by this? Well, God would care about this in the spiritual realm. Of course he does. He cares about your spiritual health and, and your role in your life in that way. But just to make it about that is to simplify the passage. It's to simplify the passage. Your wife's a human being. She's a real person. She's got emotions, desires, goals. We can nourish and cherish in all facets of her life. All facets. You know, I, when I went with, on my anniversary, I told you last week I'd share a couple of stories, but I said to Janice, you know, uh, how's the year gone for you? And what could, you know, what could be better from my perspective towards you? She didn't bring up anything about, uh, you know, our prayer lives or anything like that. Or whether I was, you know, doing scripture studies with her or whatever. She brought up, I would just like to have a little bit more like a little bit more physical affection like day to day, like in the home. Okay? Just a little bit like, like non-sexual touch, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just a little more of that. Next thing, I'd like you, maybe if you take a little bit more initiative when we, go, when we plan like, like dates and stuff together. In other words, like you know, like you used to be really good at like being the one that always says, we need to go here and do this and do that. It's more been falling on my shoulders and you're happy to agree, but just be more initiative and good and hilarious, right? Because what was Christ's love and self-giving? It was initiatory. Simple things. Take more initiative in showing that you care for me in this way and, and uh, be more affectionate. Do those things, and you'll be loving her like you would love your own body. Because I crave that, too. I'd want that. Now, I want to say one thing to finish. I know I could potentially get in trouble here with what I'm about to say, but I am uh, I'm to honor the Lord and not to fear men. I think in the Christian church, this passage has been over-spiritualized. What do you mean? Let me just first say this. I do not disagree that a man should take ownership in the home and, and, and have headship in the home where he cares about the spiritual temperature of the house. That he cares about how his wife is doing with the Lord and that he and she is doing really well. I don't disagree that we shouldn't initiate in prayer or that we should... Um, um, you know, like care about, like, you know, like doing studies together and talking about God's ways and whatnot. So I'm not minimizing the fact that that's there or that we shouldn't care about those things. But to tell someone that they're failing as a husband and being ahead of a home if they fail to do those things, I think is unfair as well. See, I've heard it said in the church this, that when you read that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, that's your job, uh, husbands. Are you washing with your wife with the word lately? What do you mean? Well, is she sitting kind of at your feet and learning from you? Uh, no. Okay. Are you initiating prayer in the house all the time? Uh, no. Are you doing family devotions with your family all the time? Well, no. My kind of my wife's kind of like initiates in those types of things. Well, you know what? You better step up because God's unhappy with you. 
You know, Pat and I were talking on Bible study the other night, and I asked the guys, what do you think this means? And here's why I bring it up. What if you're a wife who's been a, like, let's say you, are, you grew up in the church and you've been a Christian since you were like 13, and now you're, you know, uh, 30 years old and you get married. So you've been a follower of Jesus for 17 years. But even in your youth, you never abandoned him. So let's just say, as, lo as long as you live, you always believe that Jesus was the only way to, to salvation. So 30 years, let's say. And you meet a guy who's uh, 31, and he came to Christ at 29. And he's got a huge heart for the Lord, and the God's transformed him like crazy. And so you get together, and uh, you're sitting in counseling, and the, the, the pastor says, So, uh, husband, are you, in, uh, are you initiating, like, teaching your wife the scriptures? And uh, she's sitting at your feet as the head honcho and learning from you, and are you initiating prayer? No. Well, you better pick up the slack. But I can't really do some of those things compared to her. Why is that? Well, she's known the Bible for like 17, 20, 30 years. Like she's, a, she's incredible. Like I, I, in fact, like she teaches me all the time. I can't, I can't hold a candle to her in my understanding of the scriptures. It's impossible. Not only that, she's got a tremendous prayer life. Like, I'm learning from her and how to pray. She's been instrumental. That's why I want to marry her, is actually because I love her, because of what I'm learning through her in prayer. Tell me, from everything we've learned today, if a man has failed to live up to God's standards, if he leads in this way. You ready? Despite those things. The wife's crying in the kitchen. Due to exhaustion and a bad day with her kids. You've been planning an evening with your friends that you'd be looking forward to to go out that night for wings. And when you see her emotional state, you cancel to give her rest. She's scared about making a phone call regarding a conflict she has with her cell phone provider. She's been double charged and been paying huge interest and she knows she, she hasn't been over in her data and so, but she's terrified of conflict and doesn't want to make that call. And so you say, you know what, honey, I'll do it for you. She's been complaining that her prayer life has been fading and lacking. Instead of joining her, <laughs> you tell her you'll take the kids out of the house in order to free her up to spend time in quiet so she can be with the Lord. She wants to attend Bible study every Monday night at Genesis House. But she can't, because every week on the same evening, you have rack hockey. So you decide to change teams and switch leagues, because there's an op option on a Wednesday night that you can go to, in order that she can go. From everything we've learned today, church, how has that man failed to lead his home? Or, excuse me. See that I'm even programmed. How has he failed to be the head of his home and self-sacrificial, giving up his life? Did he not take care of every single aspect of her life, emotional, physical, spiritual, especially in this context? I bring this up because. As a pastor, I've seen so many women come to me in heartbreak. <laughs> heartbreak. Because they think that their husbands are failing them. 
because of the church's view of how these verses work. Your scriptural knowledge doesn't make you the head of your home. You having the final say over what's true in the Bible doesn't make you the head of the home. How you self-sacrificially give yourself up makes you the head of the home. You understand? This is so important. Again, I'm not minimizing the spiritual influence of a man in the home. If you happen to be married to a husband who initiates prayer, fantastic. If you happen to be married to a husband that knows the Bible better than you, and, and you like to like learn from him, fantastic. But do not think that you can have an amazing, godly husband if he can't, can't hold, to those candles, hold that candle up the same way as other men can. If he leads in this place, he is fulfilling God's mandate. I know I would get thrown out the front door of so many churches, and I might even get thrown out on my own, depending on how you respond to me. But I'm enti- I am obligated to teach the scriptures the way they're presented. So I have questions for us. Charles Price made the comment that what husbands prefer is not that they should give up their, themselves for their husbands, but that wives give themselves up for their husbands. I, read, I better re-read, read that again. What husbands prefer is not that they should give themselves up for their wives, but that wives give themselves up for their husbands. In what ways has this been true in your own marriage? Number two. What would need to change in your schedule, habits, hobbies, in order for you to love your wife more sacrificially and accommodate her desires? Number three, in what ways could you show your love for your wife more tangibly? Christ acted, he did something. It's not a cerebral, I love you honey, I told you when we were first married, you should know that. He got his butt off the, the ground and laid on a cross. In what ways can we show our love for our wives more tangibly in emotional ways and physical ways? Four. Going forward, how can you be as proactive and thoughtful and planning for the future well-being of your marriage as you are in other things you care about? You love uh, mechanics? You love music, you love sports, you love gaming, <laughs> whatever. You love yard work, whatever. How much thought do you put into those things compared to caring about the well being of your wife? In what ways could you better nourish and cherish your wife? Feed and care for her spiritually. Emotionally, physically, everything, the whole gamut. In what ways? My wife, touch me more. Plan more date nights together. Okay, got it. God has given husbands the privilege and responsibility of being the head of their families. In what ways have you honored the Lord with these realities? In what ways do you realize you need to change? And finally, Are you willing to have enough humility to bring these questions before your wife and listen to her responses without becoming defensive? 
Amen.